This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is September 2nd, 2021. Today, we explore the rise of investment strategies that combine commonly accepted factors, those like value and quality, with the new kid on the block, ESG. We do so by looking at a sub-segment of this growing market, that would be exchange-traded funds, or ETFs. Now, there are challenges, and not every investor is on board with this approach, but the idea of factors plus ESG, it's gained some traction. I was talking with uh, the head of factor investing at BlackRock last week, uh, Andrew Ang, and he coined a term that I love, and that is factors and sustainability are like tea and biscuits. That's our first guest. My name is Anthony Kruger. I am head of factor ETFs for EMEA at BlackRock. So factors have have really been around for a long time. They've been studied in, in great detail. And if I look back to Graham and Dodd's 1934 classic security analysis, it's kind of like the the, the, the groundwork for value investing. In that book, they actually wrote about quality and ESG measures. Now, they didn't really use the term ESG or, or sustainable investing, but they talk about the character of management. They talk about sector and industry trends, which we would classify as environmental concerns. And they also talk about the social side of things, which in their language was conservatism. They spent most of their time on the quantitative aspects, but that's only because the underlying ESG data was hard to quantify. We have increasing amounts of ESG data today. We can analyze it and apply it in quantitative techniques. Uh, And that's what we've always been doing in factor investing. It's the quantifying of this data into uh, rules-based approaches. If you, um, let's say, were a value investor 30, 40 years ago, you would probably pore over documents. It would take you a very long time. You would be reading over Um, companies' financial statements and balance sheets, income statements, and it would be very time-consuming. Now, what we can do with with the advancement of of data, we could analyze the the MSCI world, for instance. There's around 1,600 names in there. We can analyze that within a matter of seconds for value characteristics and put that into a portfolio. And now the exact same thing has happened with with ESG metrics. So now we can analyze a portfolio not only for factor metrics, but ESG metrics um, as well and build that into a, a holistic portfolio. I think with the advancement in the understanding of these concepts, uh, data, tools, technology, it is a natural evolution to be able to combine both these components together. And that's our second guest for today. I'm Raina Oberoi, based out of New York. Um, I head the Index Solutions Research Team for the Americas. I do want to highlight the importance of this concept. 
And if you think about it, um, you know, factor investing and ESG investing are two areas um, of growing interest to institutional investors. And um, you know, as these two structural trends continue in the future, the list of factors and strategies that investors would like to implement in a more sustainable way will become larger. I mean, at the end of the day, simply put, a factor is really a unique investment characteristic of a group of securities that can help explain risk and return of a portfolio. So, you know, what we typically call factors in daily jargon are more the traditional style factors like size, value, quality. But that doesn't preclude us from expanding that thought and incorporating other factors that can help explain um, risk and return of portfolios. Other factors like ESG. One issue that comes up here, though, is that while the data has increased and improved since Graham and Dodd wrote about what we now call ESG, getting investors to agree on even a definition, let alone the explanatory power of ESG or sustainable investing, that can be difficult. The way investors usually use these terms, um, ESG and sustainable investing, is used usually interchangeably. Um, and that's really because the concept of ESG means different things to different people. You know, some think about it um, as a way to reflect their values and beliefs. Others look at it as, you know, having a social environmental impact. And some um, look at it in terms of financial materiality. So as you can tell, you know, it is a very personal way of investing. And, you know, the taking a step back, the way I think about this area of investing is the broad umbrella of sustainable investing. And under that umbrella, I consider ESG investing and climate investing as two separate areas of focus. Now, both are growing investment trends, but to achieve the common goal of sustainability. I think about it as about uh, giving investors choice. And I categorize it into two areas. There is avoiding companies uh, involved in controversial business activities or that do not align with an investor's values. And then there's advancing ESG integration or advancing uh, some sort of um, goal that an investor might have, say, for instance, with, with climate. Now, avoiding strategies as I've mentioned, you normally eliminate certain companies or sectors um, that are associated with an increased ESG risk. And you can think about that as just screening out um, uh, pretty in a pretty simple way. Advancing strategies, they, they focus on increasing exposure to positive ESG characteristics, and they align capital with certain behaviors or target specific uh, positive social or environmental outcomes. Beyond that lack of an agreed-upon definition is the pesky issue of data. Without it, how can you possibly look at ESG as a factor? In general, I would say uh, it's changed quite a bit, but investors do view ESG as a consideration in their portfolio management process and not necessarily as a traditional systematic risk factor. And, you know, at a technical level, sometimes we get asked that, okay, well, how do you combine it? If, if ESG is, uh, you know, such a subjective thing, it's such a personal thing, how can you quantify it to be a factor? I think it's, uh, it's pretty clear if you compare ESG to factors that there is naturally lesser history um, on the ESG side. 
but we still do have like 10 to 15 years of rich history to analyze ESG strategies. We do think advanced technology, including artificial intelligence and alternative data extraction techniques, can help minimize our reliance on voluntary company disclosures. Um, we also use machine learning and natural language processing that has actually helped us increase the timeliness and the precision of our data analysis. So, you know, ESG data has definitely become a lot more robust, and there is a lot of research that goes into figuring out different sources and to make the data even more robust as we go forward. So as, as ESG gets um, you know, integrated into more and more portfolios, I think its efficacy as a distinct factor will also come to light. And what about the argument that what looks like explanatory power for ESG is really just about exposure to the quality factor. You know, we've heard this before that ESG is just another way of saying quality. Um, and, you know, we have seen in our research um, that there is a positive correlation between quality style factors and ESG scores, and that highly rated ESG companies do tend to also be high quality companies. Um, I think we've also found that ESG scores could have been improved for a quality-oriented strategy without any meaningful reduction in the exposure to the quality factor. But that does not mean they're the same thing. You know, in our research, um, we've looked at highly-oriented ESG managers and tried to explain their risk and return using a risk model that actually includes ESG as a standalone factor alongside other traditional factors. And what we saw is that ESG does show additive explanatory power which does not get explained by a factor like quality. In fact, in this was the very reason we launched this model with ESG as a factor to bring that transparency, transparency to such nuances and really help investors evaluate what was driving their risk and return. And other times that we've had you on this program, it was very early on in the COVID crisis during lockdown, and you spoke about how the crisis had basically proven the strength of ESG as, as a factor based on how it performed during the crisis period. Now that we are more than a year away from that, do you have any further insight into, into that question of how ESG performed during the early days of the pandemic? Yeah, Adam, I think there is, uh, you know, something that we spoke about um, at that point, you know, ESG was showing its resilience and, you know, MSA has obviously done a lot of research in this area, but there's, um, you know, other industry organizations that have also, um, you know, looked into ESG and typically it's been a potential way to mitigate systematic and idiosyncratic risk. But, you know, it's really the crisis, as I had mentioned in the earlier episode, that really gave us the opportunity to test the ESG factor and the hypothesis that does it really work. And what the crisis did make the investors realize even, you know, a year and a half out is that, uh, you know, ESG does um, stand the test of time. We saw that portfolios that had high ESG exposure um, and good ESG characteristics actually suffered smaller drawdowns um, compared to others. But I think that was only part of the story. The other part of the story, which I think is quite important, is that when you go beneath the surface and you do the attribution analysis, 
which we didn't have at that point to see what was the reason for the outperformance of good ESG portfolios. A large part of the outperformance did come from the ESG factor and was just not a proxy for other defensive factors like quality or low volatility. Regardless of any lingering resistance, you can't argue with numbers. And the numbers suggest that the idea of ETFs that combine factors and ESG, that's resonated with investors. Yeah, well, it's been a, a record year so far. So globally, ETFs have gathered three quarters of a trillion dollars, so $750 billion. And the industry is on track for, for a record year. Now, what is leading that? That is equities and that is making up, again, three quarters of the new assets. And uh, as markets have reached record highs and investors have been looking towards the global economic reopening, they rarely have used um, ETFs to, to express their views. Um, looking on a regional level, uh, U.S. growth continues to be strong, and that's le been led by the market cap type of um, ETFs, um, sectors and thematic exposures. Um, and Europe is catching up. And in Europe, it's, it's a bit of a different picture. It's, again, sectors, but factors are also having a record uh, year. But really, the standout is sustainable ETFs, and that's really leading the European trend. And there's been over $40 billion in sustainable ETFs this year alone. Now, what that suggests to me that flows, um, they tend to be more strategic in nature, um, indicating that now sustainable uh, ETFs are, are making their way into model portfolios, they're making their way into long-term allocations from asset managers and wealth managers. We've seen, um, you know, a lot of growth, a lot of assets um, tracking ESG strategies across the board. And I think it's a global phenomenon. You know, if you think about in the Americas, if, you, if you're still on the topic of, you know, factor plus ESG, factor investing and ESG investing still remain distinct areas of investing. But as ESG integration increases and investors understand the nuances in greater detail, and as regulation increases around the integration of ESG, we will see uh, you know, a growing interest in combining these strategies. We've already seen a lot of interest around this concept in the Americas across a wide array of clients. Now, in EMEA, they are clearly ahead of the game. There's been a lot more adoption. Um, uh, of ESG across uh, portfolios. And that's also uh, reflected an increased interest in product creation in factors plus ESG. I think, you know, for clients, the big, big ask is give me more transparency. Clients are naturally pushing for transparency. They want to be able to evaluate and explain these strategies better. The better they can do that, the better investment decisions they can make. What it seems to come down to for those who call themselves factor investors is, sure, if adding ESG provides that clarity and that transparency, then bring it on. In fact, I may actually want to actively account for ESG or climate risks in my portfolio. But I don't want to sacrifice the fact that my portfolio, it's built on the investment idea of maximizing my exposure to value or momentum or some other factor. So I think 
you know, the framework that we used um, for uh, to combine ESG and factors, we saw that was the easy way of constructing indexes, combining these two without any major impact on historical performance or trade-off and factor characteristics. We've also tried to expand that approach to include climate-based outcomes in alignment with the Paris Agreement. And that obviously, you know, includes the risks and opportunities associated with transition to a low-carbon economy, the physical risks associated with climate change, um, and uh, net-zero corporate targets. And we've tested this approach on our standard factor indexes as well as multi-factor indexes. You know, what we've noticed is that some factors like value were more impacted as you start integrating climate and gave up some target factor exposure. And other factors like low volatility weren't really impacted in terms of target exposure once you start integrating climate. But in general, what we saw across the board was that we were actually able to combine climate-based outcomes to factor strategies and retain significant factor exposure to the targeted factor because that would be really the goal. I mean, it would not really serve anyone's purpose if we try to integrate climate and then lose um, a significant amount of factor exposure and not be able to target what we really want to uh, want the outcome to be. This research is important for asset managers and other institutional investors that Reina and team are working with because they're getting pushed from both ends in terms of regulation is especially in the EMEA region, but also from retail investors. It's an issue that can't be ignored and is simply not going away. I asked Anthony about this squeeze. I would like to, to, to keep us moving on these drivers of ESG specifically as you combine factors in ESG. One of the big, big ones being regulation, of course. Um, SFDR in, in Europe is the big one. A lot of press around the reporting requirements, but there's also the idea of classifying different types of investments uh, purported to be ESG. I'm thinking, I think it's Article 8, Article 10, is it? Can you, why don't you tell me? What what are the classifications? What, what, what do they mean? Sure, no, no problem, uh, Adam. It is quite confusing and, you know, anything that. Uh, comes out from uh, (laughs) regulators, you know, need need some interpretation. So what you have is essentially three classifications at the moment. One comes under what we call Article 6, and that is is basically any um, investment product at the moment that doesn't have any sustainable aims or features in it. So you can think about it as as a standard normal uh, product. Then you have Article 8, and these are uh, products that promote ESG characteristics. So they have uh, some sort of ESG um, characteristics involved uh, in, the, the, um, in the selection of securities. And then finally, you have Article 9, and that I kind of classify a more on the lines of impact investing. So products that have sustainable investments as their objective. It's it's a a huge deal um, in in Europe at the moment, and um, we're seeing it really uh, drive a lot a lot of change and a lot of product innovation. And so that's from the regulation side. What about from the other side, from retail investors, which which especially from ETFs is an important. 
uh, factor, if you'll if you'll pardon use of that word. How what changes are you seeing from from retail investors in terms of this awareness and uh, about meeting sustainability goals or even having sustainability goals when it comes to investing? Investors are are taking more responsibility for what they are invested in. And this is possible with the transparency that ETFs bring um, and the amount of information that is uh, out there at your fingertips. So, for instance, um, at iShares, we have been publishing um, or disclosing the sustainability characteristics and publishing all of the holdings for our ETFs online for over two years. So you can know as an investor exactly what is in, in your fund. Um, and that, that is really about transparency and wanting to, to know more about what, what you're invested in. And I think that's really what's, what we've been seeing. I mean, one cannot even turn on the news nowadays or even look outside your window, depending on where you live in the world, and ignore climate change. Um, as we've seen effects playing out right now in the world, we've seen soaring temperatures in Canada with some, I think, temperatures hitting around 50 degrees in some small um, mountainous uh, villages and towns. And there's historic intensity of wildfires in America and Europe um, happening right now as we speak. So... I think as the the retail investor, as you consume this and you see the the transparency um, in starting to come through in the market, in the investing market, you can start um, making decisions about where your investments, uh, your retirement investments, your savings are are going. And I was uh, I was l- listening to another podcast uh, the other day. And um, it, it, it interviewed um, someone who swam in the Olympics uh, and, and been following the Olympics uh, broadly and is super in awe of, of these athletes and what they've achieved. And I think the one example that it was Adam Peaty from the, the British swimming team gave is when you look at a, a problem and say something really big like, climate change. It it seems so large that many of us, you know, how do we tackle that? What can we do on a on a day-to-day basis to kind of help or, or do or change something? It just seems too too big a problem. And there are those of us who, you know, have dedicated our lives to say public policy and 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 really, you know, changing the, the way, say, um, governments invest and, and have policies out there. But for, for you or me, Adam, like, um, I, I'm not a, involved in, in the policy world, but what I can do is I can influence those around me. I can have a conversation with my colleagues at work. I can have a conversation with my family and my friends about... Um, you know, climate, about equality, about any area that's important to you. And you, you could bring that back and uh, understand, do you know where you are invested? Um, what is your pension fund invested in? Ask the question 
and and start making those small little changes that can really make a big change in the end. I would say something that is very unique um, for um, the retail side of things is this mass personalization and mass customization on the ESG side. I think, um, you know, ESG anyway, as I discussed, is such a personal way of um, of investing when it comes to the retail audience that customization and personalization is really key to be able to incorporate an individual's view of ESG. And, um, you know, the whole direct indexing concept where you can create these personalized strategies via indexes has seen tremendous growth for this exact reason because you know, one size does not fit all. And that's a very unique element of ESG investing, especially on the retail side. So that's an area of growing importance for us as well, as we um, look to provide these um, personal and custom solutions for um, you know, our wealth-based clients. That's all for this week. Our thanks to Anthony and Raina and to all of you for listening. Next up on Perspectives, we begin our journey on the road to COP26, That's the UN Climate Conference in Glasgow this November. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.